If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 18. All right, Matthew chapter 18. We are definitely in Christmas season. How many of you guys have all of your Christmas shopping done? How many of those same people, you have every one of those gifts wrapped already? Oh, man. How do you... How many of you guys are going Christmas shopping this afternoon, like me and my wife Emily, to try and go and get the majority of our stuff? All right, like, okay. That's Christmas season. You have, one, you have two groups of people. All right, you have the people that, like, defe- December 1st, they're done. They have everything ready. It's under the tree. And then you have the people that, like, the classic trope in a movie, Christmas Eve, are like, what stores are open? What can I get my spouse at Dollar General that they won't be able to tell is from Dollar General? <laughs> All right, just lots of candy. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. All right, so Christmas is great. I, I love Christmas programs. You know, I grew up um, as a product of 90s Christmas programs that were very different than what happens today. Today, it's like, okay, one rehearsal, kind of do this. You know what? You don't even have to learn your lines. We're going to have other people read your lines for you. I grew up at the time where it's like, oh, no, it is November. We now start weekly practices for this Christmas program, and you will memorize every line, and you will have a vocal solo because your mom is directing it, and she's going to make you do that no matter how embarrassing it is. That may or may not be my story, all right? And so, like, I love seeing this, but, like, it's just, it's, it's funny to see how things have changed uh, over the years. Uh, I figured with the, with the kids program today, I'd do a shorter sermon. I want to bring in the idea of kids, All right, of kids. Because believe it or not, as adults, we have a lot that we can learn from kids. So many ways that we can be challenged by them uh, and by their faith even. And so uh, how many of you at Christmas time or other holidays, you have two separate tables for eating dinner? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you have the adult table and you have the kids table. All right, how, how many of you guys have a kids table at holidays? Maybe, you know, there are all sorts of different reasons for it, all right? Um... And the kids' table usually, where is it? It's like in the basement. It's, if you can help it, on hard floor. Not white carpet. Not white shag carpet, okay? Like, it's, it's, it's somewhere off. Maybe it's even outside. You're like, hey, December's nice this year. Go sit on the front step, okay? You can eat your food out there. Uh, so, funny thing, at, at Emily's aunt and uncle, uh, we still go there for most Thanksgivings. We sit at the kids' table. We have not been allowed to graduate from the kids' table. So her and a few of her cousins, some of the cousins got out of there. I don't know how they did. But they're sitting at the adult table. We are relegated to the kids' table with our own kids. It's, I don't, I don't know how that works. Like, I think someday I'm going to be there with my grandkids. Like, I still have not graduated from the kids' table. All right? Uh, now, why do we do this? Why do we have kids' tables? Well, practically speaking, usually there isn't enough room for everyone to sit at the same table. So you have to kind of split people up, all right? Uh, and if you're getting together with family uh, that you don't live with, maybe you haven't seen them, you want to spend time talking to the adults, have some adult conversation. I still don't know what that's like at holidays. Um, you know, and, and the kids, they probably want to have fun time with their cousins. Uh, we've had all sorts of, like, the amazing stories that you hear about later from the kids' table. Um, one recently with... It's probably embarrassing for our kids. They're upstairs. Don't tell them I said this. <laughs> this is a few years ago. One of the cousins comes in, and they're like, your children keep using the middle finger. And I'm like, what? 
And then we can hear him yell, we're, we're flipping off the devil. It's okay. Like, what? Why? No, it is not okay. Like, I don't know where, like, these things that would not happen at the adult table that we never get to see, and you're like, oh, we should talk about this. No, that's not okay. All they know is that that is like, that's something that you would do to someone you don't like. You know, like, that's essentially, you know, you talk to kids. I saw someone do this. What does that mean? Uh, that just probably means they're upset and they don't like that person. Oh, okay, and then that's what they log away, and then they're doing all sorts of crazy things. All right, and I mean, if you sit at the kids' table, like, the, amount, the conversation just looks so different. Okay, like, you are going to be asked the most ridiculous hypothetical question that you're like, how did you even come up with this scenario that I now have to answer, right? Like, this week, actual question asked in our house two days ago, would you rather kiss a camel or a dog that just ate its own poop. Like, out of nowhere, we're just sitting in the living room, enjoying great family time, and this question comes out. And you're like, I don't want to answer this. Okay, and, but kids, like, it's just, the kids' table is an amazing place. If you have not been there in a while, I'd encourage you, go visit this Christmas. Go visit the kids' table and see what it's like, okay? Um, because if you eat a meal with children, you will have to answer questions like that. All right? Uh, and at times, I think... If we aren't careful, our minds begin to associate kids with this, like, kids' table, extra work, all this, like, craziness, goofiness, silliness. When we think of kids, we start to associate them with, you know, goofiness, immaturity, irresponsibility, being annoying, being selfish. Like, all these different things we start to associate with children. And when we put kids into that type of category... Uh, we often don't want to be associated with that, right? Um, and it isn't just adults that, like, put kids into this category. Like, as you watch kids as they grow up, when they have friends that are, um, like, preschool, and then they get into school, they no longer want to be associated with the little babies, as they would probably phrase it. You know, they're a big kid now. They're in kindergarten. I remember as a kindergartner one time being around a friend that was a year younger, and I had a book in my hand. I was pretending like I could read it. Because I was a kindergartner. I was a big kindergartner. I went to school. I had no clue how to read. But I wanted to like disassociate and be like, okay, I'm not that. Or when they get to the end of elementary and they start getting to middle school, you see kids again start to like step away from the younger kids. Because it's just like, I don't want to be associated with that. You see it with teenagers. Teenagers want to be adults, right? They want to be seen as an adult. Maybe this even goes beyond that. Maybe like at your work. At one point, you're, you're, you have this group of coworkers. Maybe you get promoted. And all of a sudden, you don't want to be seen necessarily. Like, you wouldn't say this out loud because this sounds really mean. You don't want to be seen in that group that you once were. Now, I'm a supervisor. I'm a manager. I'm a, you know, whatever. I was promoted. I want to be seen in this group over here. And we're often trying to, like, kind of put ourselves into these spots where we want to be seen as more important, more mature, older, wiser. All right? And, and I think this happens often. Now, Jesus has some interactions I want us to look at here. Okay? And so both uh, are in the book of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18 first, and then we're going to flip over to Matthew 19. So chapter 18 opens up with this interaction between the disciples and Jesus. All right? And so this isn't just like your run-of-the-mill, like, Jewish people that are coming to listen to Jesus. This is his disciples, his closest followers, the people that probably should get it the most, 
Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 18. We're pretty far along in Jesus' ministry at this point. And they come and they ask this question. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's greatest? So these guys that grew up in temple, in synagogue, hearing, learning, memorizing the stories of their heroes. And there are so many different people. So many people in their history, so many people that are spiritual heroes to them. All right, and they did all sorts of great things for God. They led God's people in different ways and in different times. And they want to know, who is the best of these heroes? If I'm going to try and model my life after somebody, I want to know which one was the best so I can follow that example. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Now, real quickly, kids in these days, they were, they were not seen as giving value to society. Basically, they... They were at the continual kids' table their whole life. You're relegated over here to this spot of like, you're not very important. We're not really interacting with you. You're just a child. And that was kind of the approach in this time. They weren't counted in a census. Uh, If you were a boy, you at least had the prospect of like growing up um, in this culture to be seen as valued. Um, Really, especially young girls were not valued in this type of way. And oftentimes, in first century, you're talking about families that if they couldn't make it financially, they would be selling uh, their young girls into uh, different types of servitude or slavery, things like that. Uh, Girls were seen as a burden because when they go to get married someday, you have to pay the dowry. You have to actually pay this other family to take on this burden. That's what that was. Like, if you're going to take her from us, you're going to be responsible for this burden from us, then we're going to pay you to do that. Okay, so, so kids were not seen as this valuable asset in, in, in their culture. And so the disciples are asking, who is the greatest? And they're thinking David, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, like one of these. And Jesus calls a little child over, and I would go as far as saying, in this spot, the, the word used is, is a gender-neutral term for just child. But knowing that Jesus always loves to make the biggest like exaggeration with his examples probably was a little girl that comes, calls her over. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're expecting to hear who is the greatest. David, Moses, Elijah, like all these big names. Abraham, the father of our nation. And Jesus calls over someone who is seen as the least valuable. He continues on, he says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Again, we see that exaggeration, that like going to the extreme that Jesus often does uh, in his examples. This is a bombshell that he drops on these guys. It says, in the kingdom of heaven, it isn't measured in the same way you would measure it. The greatest isn't the person who has the biggest following, who has done the most miracles, who has written the most songs, written the most of of our scrolls that we read, who has won the most wars. The greatest is actually the weakest, the most insignificant, the most humble, would be the image that they're getting. And this had to throw them for a loop. Like I'm sure that for the next month or two when the disciples are together and Jesus isn't there, they're like, 
Did you understand that? Like, have we figured that out yet? Like, what does he mean? What does he mean? And, and they don't, there's no way that that's right. It'd be like saying, okay, who's the greatest person in the NFL? Who is the most valuable person right now in the NFL? And you're thinking through all these people. I'm not because I'm not a football fan. But you in the room that are, which I know is a lot of you, you're thinking through all these big names, and Jesus does the like little Jesus juke and is like, no, it's the water boy. You're like, what? You're like, well, yeah, of course people need water. Like, I get that, Jesus, but really the most valuable? The most valuable. You know, and that, that's like the, this big picture that he gives them. And then we fast forward a little bit in Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 19. And we see that the disciples, they didn't get it. They haven't internalized this yet. They haven't understood it. They, they, they aren't putting this into practice. Because here's another interaction, verse 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. You got to love this. Like, the disciples are like every bad guy in a children's movie. They just, like, hate kids. They're like, go away. And they, they actually scolded the parents, like, for bringing them over. Jesus interrupts them, and he says, let them come. And again, he says, if, if you want to be part of the new work that I'm doing, you want to be part of the new kingdom? You want to be part of the age to come? You want to be part of eternal life? This is all the same phrasing in Greek. Then you need to be like these children. So obviously Jesus cares about this. He's really trying to make this point with his disciples. What I want us to do to wrap this up is to quickly think about like what is it that Jesus is trying to get across here? How does he want them to be like children? Because we actually don't get a great... He doesn't lay it out then and say, these are all the things. I don't think he's saying, I want you to be immature, don't be responsible, be annoying to the people around you. You know, like what we often associate with kids. So what does he mean when he says, be like children? Well, he does give us one example in the first one. He says, be humble. I find this funny because humility is not always something I associate with kids. Uh, there, is, there are few people more arrogant than a, an elementary child coming home freshly like armed with new facts that their friend at school told them and was sure about. And that kid's like, no, I know this is true. Johnny told me this. I'm, I hate to tell you this. Johnny doesn't know what he's talking about. Johnny's a liar. All right, like it's, but they come home, they're like so confident. No, this is what goes on. But God says that they're humble. Humility is what counts in God's kingdom because pride and arrogance are things which, more than anything else in God's word, distort and ultimately destroy human lives. It is. And when kids have pride, I, just, I don't think it's in the same way as adults, like the, the arrogance that adults have. Kids have pride in this like new discovery type of way. And I think that when Jesus is saying to be humble like children, I think he's bringing in more of just like, the spirit of, of what a child holds, like, so often. And so, as I thought about this, I'm like, children are curious. They want to learn. All right, they, they are eager. They're eager to learn. They're eager to do these things. They're eager to please, to be, to be part of something. They are trusting of the people that are around them. Like, you can convince a kid of almost anything. They are adventurous. Like, they, they often haven't had all these same bad experiences that adults have had. They haven't built up the walls and the defenses that adults have yet. 
The way kids approach the world is different from adults. It, it has this innocence that we often lack when we've allowed the world to shape us into this hard, like stuck-in-our-way, defensive type of people. And children, like in general, they just they have this awe about like life. They just they carry this with them. All right, and I, and I wrote full of awe, not awful. Okay, children are not awful; they are full of awe. I love I love the way that they just approach life. I mean, how many of us would have gotten up here today? And recited lines or acted or sang a song in front of a whole group that you don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> that's a difficult thing. And yet kids, they just have this, this excitement about life. And it's something that I think we need to have. And as we grow in maturity, and as we grow in our understanding of God, are we growing in this awe that we have of him? Or instead, do we often grow in this way where we become more and more prideful and arrogant, thinking, I know exactly what it means to be a kid. Or, I know exactly what it means to follow God. I know what it means to do this. I know what it means to be a Christian. And we, we grow in this like arrogance instead of saying, wow, as I grow, I want to just be more and more filled with awe of God and who he is and his character. And understanding the fact that I really have no, I don't have a great understanding on some of these things. But that's not how we often measure maturity. Often as we grow in maturity, as we would say, instead we, we are growing in our arrogance and in our pride. We shouldn't be trying to get kids to mature too fast, mainly because I think this, oftentimes our ladder of maturity is leaning up against the wrong wall. Like the, the ways that we are measuring those rungs of how we grow in maturity, I just don't know how, how accurate that actually is. I want to find a way just to like shrink back into this spot where I'm filled with awe and wonder about life and the world that I live in in the same way that a kid does. Now think about when a kid walks into like a toy store. They just have those big eyes just looking at everything. Like that, that's, that's what I want. So let's do this. Let's stand. Worship team, you guys can come. One of the kids in our church... And I didn't, I didn't ask the, the parents if I can say this. So hopefully, Henry and Paloma, you guys are fine with this. Last week, uh, their daughter, Allison, she absolutely loves music. And I, I love that about her. Her and I connect over that. And so this past spring and summer, we were in a, a connect group or a life group together. Uh, Paloma was there, would often bring Allison with her. And if Allison got bored, her and I would just ditch the life group. And we'd go and play guitar. And it was so much fun. And I, I just, I loved it. And last week, as we're like wrapping up the service, right at this point, and music is starting to be played, she just like, she's so excited, she just can't stay in her seat. And she just kind of starts making her way up front slowly. And I, I just, I love it. There's just this like, she's drawn into it and just this, this desire to be like, just so much closer. And I just, I loved watching this the whole time. I just couldn't help but, but smile the whole time. She keeps coming closer and closer. And I, I halfway expected her to actually come up and stand by me as I was playing guitar, as would often happen. 
And uh, I just, I love seeing that, just this innocence that's mixed with, with awe and excitement. And I want to have that as I approach God. That, that's what I want in my life. I want to keep getting drawn in. And Christmas time might be a better time than, than any other to have this type of awe. And so here's my challenge for us this week. And it may look, it's going to look different for each one of us in this room. All right? You know, we saw that, that Jesus valued children and their approach to the world in a pretty big way. And so I want you to kind of ask this question of yourself. How can I approach God in a more childlike way this Christmas? All right, and we don't do this often where the, the reality is this, the passages that we're digging through here. Jesus doesn't give us a lot of answers of what it means to approach him in a childlike way. And that's hard because sometimes we just want that like black and white, like tell me what I need to do. But what he does do is he values children. He values the way they see the world. He values the way that they interact with the people around them. And so in some way, I know that my life, as I grow in maturity, should almost look more and more like a child. And so I, I want to just challenge us with this question. I want each one of you to kind of ask this of yourself. Like, this Christmas season, how can you approach God differently? How can you approach God in a way that is more childlike? How can you have more wonder this Christmas? How can it feel like your first Christmas again? And I'm not just talking about like the presents and this and all that. But as you approach God, as we, you know, next week gather for Christmas Eve service, how can you feel like this is once again like the first time that it has this massive meaning and importance to you? Right? Like don't, don't be the Scrooge where everything Christmas makes you mad. Don't be Scott Calvin where Christmas is beneath you and all that celebrating and all that. You know, it's like, how can you approach Christmas this year in just a different type of a way? Don't relegate joy and Christmas spirit to the kids' table. Actually, do that, but then relegate yourself to the kids' table. Instead of trying to sit in this place of importance and maturity, that maybe actually isn't as mature as what we think it is. So we're going to close just with another uh, a song. We talked about this this last week, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a song that is just about waiting and anticipation. And so let's even, as, as Pastor Aaron comes and just kind of leads us into that, let's tap into that anticipation of what Christmas is.